0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christ Church Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10.
1: As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do.
0: Our Father in heaven, we have before us tonight words that are incredibly precious. They are words that speak of your grace to those who do not deserve anything from you. We thank you for the remarkable reality of these words that we have because of Christ. And Father, we long that tonight we would leave here saying afresh that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And we pray this for your glory. Amen. Please do take your seats. And we're looking together at Ephesians chapter 2, page 1174, if you've closed the church Bibles. A few weeks ago, I received an email which contained an invitation. Uh, It was from a very, 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 very distant relative of mine. It turns out that they had been doing some research into our wider family tree. They'd been hunting around, working out all the various connections, and they were contacting all of the wider family to inform them that they were hosting a day ...for all the wider family up in Edinburgh, a chance to meet together as this mass family gathering. Uh, I haven't decided whether to go or not. Uh, There is something quite intriguing about rocking up in Edinburgh in the summer and meeting all my dim and distant relatives. Uh, I wonder what I will find when I walk into the room, if I do... What kind of people will I meet? Will they be kind and friendly or serious and angry? Will they be rich and wealthy or poor? Will they be lazy or successful? Uh, Will they be uh, short and have a funny accent? Um, I don't know. Um, But there is something intriguing, isn't there, about digging around in your background, finding out where you come from, understanding your wider family. And that's why I think it's incredibly popular these days for people to uh, work out their family tree Uh, They want to know where they come from. That is one way to discover ourselves, to look back, uh, to look at our families, our parents, our our, our family trees, and we can discover something about ourselves looking back. But of course, we can also look forward. I heard an interview this week with um, a British skier, uh, Chemi Olcott. Uh, She was um, talking about her plans in the future, and she was announcing that she was planning to to take part in this grueling uh, skiing event. And uh, why? Well, I quote her response. She says, it's about finding out who I am. In other words, she wants to take on this horrendous, ambitious project to find out if she can cope. Uh, She wants to find out what she's made of. And so for her, she's looking forward to the future to discover who she really is. Well, of course, we can look back, we can look forward. Others of us will will look around us to find out uh, who we are. Uh, Where do we live? In S10 or somewhere else? Uh, How clever are we? Well, let's look at our exam results. How uh, wealthy are we? Well, let's look at the bank account. How popular are we? Well, let's look at the number of friends we have. You see, we can find out something about ourselves by looking around in the present, These are all ways to discover ourselves, looking back, looking forward, looking around. But tonight, as we turn to Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to see that if we are to truly discover ourselves, uh, we don't look back at our parents, we don't look um, forward to our prizes or in the present to our postcodes, but rather we look at God's word. And that's where we truly discover who we are. Look at Ephesians 2, verse 1. Paul says, As for you, as for you, Paul's just been talking in chapter 1 about Jesus. He's been describing this remarkable journey Jesus made from from death to life, from life to the place of ultimate glory and authority over all powers in this world and in the age to come. He is now also the head of the church. He's been talking about who Christ is. We've been discovering all about Christ. And then Paul says, that's wonderful and glorious and true. What about you? Let's spend some time discovering who you are and your life story. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, we have our story. Uh, We discover who we are Uh, Remember that uh, TV show, Uh, This Is Your Life. I know some of you are far too young to ever have heard of it. It's a story where um, various famous people were given a a red book full of, uh, an account of their life full of photos and memories, and this this was their life. Well, tonight, Paul gives each one of us the equivalent red book and says, this is your life. This is who you are. And amazingly, we're going to discover that each one of us here in the room tonight, we all have the same story. We all have the same life. And not so much this is your life, but rather this is our life as we look at Ephesians chapter 2. Well, what do we find as we look at our life? Well, first of all, we find this. We all share a deadly past. Verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. It's that time of year when uh, there's lots of colds and coughs going around. Of course, the thing about getting a cold is that, uh, no, it's not nice, it's not pleasant, but a bit of rest, some fresh fruit, a sip, and normally things get better. But do you see how Paul describes Everyone. Apart from Christ. Not ill, not a bit low, not even gravely ill, but dead. And this is a great shock. Don't be fooled by the fact that lots of people go around breathing and eating and sleeping. Because spiritually, apart from Christ, before we put our trust in Christ, we were dead in our transgressions and sins. The living dead, if you like. No amounts of education or training or self-help books or fresh starts or New Year's resolutions could change what we were. Dead people cannot bring themselves back to life. Uh, The word translated transgressions has the idea of, of crossing boundaries we should not cross. The word translated sin has the idea of of falling short of a mark that we should have reached. And Paul says we've done both. We cross lines we shouldn't cross. We have fallen short of the things that we should do. And that is the picture of what we were all like apart from Christ. Some time ago I was uh, taking a funeral and the family asked me if they could play Frank Sinatra's song... I did it my way at the end of the service. They liked the, uh, the self-confident, self-made, self-directing message of the song. They thought it was a fitting note to finish the service on. But the thing is, it's just not true. No one does it my way. Look at what Paul says Why do we do the things that we do? Why do we transgress and sin? Uh, Paul gives us three reasons. Uh, Verse two, he says, uh, you were dead when you followed the ways of this world. We are profoundly influenced by the world around us. Why do we set our hopes on the perfect house? Why do we daydream about the perfect holiday? Why do we gossip in the office? Why do we backstab the team leader? Well, so often it's because everyone else is doing it. The world around us. We don't do it our way. No, we follow the world. We try to blend in. The world exerts a huge influence on us. A few years ago, I was, um, when I was back in Oxford, I was um, chatting with a student. And uh, he was a devout atheist, Uh, He was adamant that he had um, explored all the facts, that he was well read, and he claimed to have weighed up all the evidence and had come to a firm and settled position that there was no God, and he was living his life accordingly. But as we started to speak about what he discovered, it transpired he hadn't actually ever opened the Bible. He'd never read a gospel. He knew nothing about Jesus. Uh, He hadn't really done much thinking at all, but it seems that all his friends, well, they were atheists, and so he was as well. I wonder if that is true for any of us here tonight. We haven't really given God a second thought in our lives, but I wonder if we've actually looked into it for ourselves. Perhaps come on the Christian Explore course on Tuesday to find out for yourself. But that is one influence, the world around us. Next, verse two continues. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those Who are disobedient. There is a personal evil force in the world. Paul is talking about the devil, uh, Satan. And he is at work in the world in order to make us disobey. His work is a deathly work. He wants us to die. Think of uh, that. A drug addict uh, longing for the next fix. The drugs make him feel so alive. He, he's craving that moment of, of, of feeling alive. But of course, it's just a fantasy. It's not real. The drugs that make him feel alive are in fact leading him towards death and destruction. And I think that is how the devil works in our world today. He tempts us with the promise of life and of being invincible. And it sounds so good. And yet it is the way of death and destruction. He says, just go on and live for yourself. Disobey God, go your own way. That's where you'll find uh, fruitfulness and fulfillment. But rather, it is the way of death. Now look, it may not be drugs, but the devil can tempt us in other ways. Uh, The woman on our course, uh, in the office, who's not our wife, a large bank account, at the expense of everything else in our lives. All kinds of things that are dangled in front of us, offering us life, but they cannot bring life. That is another influence. The devil at work in us and in the world. But before we start thinking that we are somehow innocent victims that have found ourselves caught up in a current too strong for us to swim against, Paul continues, verse 3. Look, we we are eager, willing participants in all of this. Verse three, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. It's that time of year when I guess some of us are uh, trying to be healthy, maybe be on a diet after Christmas, and you know what it's like to really crave chocolate. The thought of chocolate fills your mind. You, You long for it and then you give in to it. You know you shouldn't, but you do. That is what it means to gratify the cravings for chocolate. And of course, chocolate's not very serious. It's naughty but nice. But Paul's not talking about chocolate. He's talking about something far worse, far more serious. Our sinful desires. That's desire to gossip, to indulge in self-pity, a quick temper, These are all ways that gratify our sinful nature and they have deathly consequences. And so Paul says, we all share a deathly past. And notice Paul's not picking on one particular group and saying, look, you're the bad guys. Now look at how he talks through these verses. Verse one, he says, as for you, Start off with the Ephesians, but then his language changes. Verse 3, he says, all of us also. That is, Paul himself is included. And then notice at the end of verse 3, like the rest, like the rest. That is, everyone else. In other words, all of us, everyone in this room tonight, everyone in Fullwood, everyone in Sheffield, everyone in the world, we all share a deadly past. No matter what our parents are like, or the prizes we've won, or the postcodes we live in, this is our story. This is who we are. Well, we might be thinking, well, maybe it's true, but so what? Why does it matter if I live this way? Who cares? Well, verse 3 finishes on a sober note. Like the rest, we were by nature's objects of wrath. God's anger is what's wrong with this picture. God's anger, his wrath, is not like our anger so often, where we fly off the handle, where we are easily provoked. No, his anger is, is slow to come to a boil. It is considered. And this almost makes it worse, more dreadful. When Paul says that we are by nature objects of wrath. This is our life, says Paul. Or rather, this is our lives before and apart from Christ. We all share a deadly past. There is good news, don't worry. Next, in Christ we all share a gracious rescue. Uh, the famous preacher Martin Lloyd Jones once said, as he was preaching his way through this uh, letter, he once said that the whole message of the gospel could be summarized in two little words in Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God. A great summary of the gospel in many ways. But God. And uh, we don't have the same time he had to explain all the wonderful riches that those words mean for us. But look at verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Once we understand our deadly past, if we're convinced that that is true... When we hear these words of gracious rescue in Christ, they are wonderful, glorious, world-changing words to hear. Uh, look at the uh, the great reversals that take place uh, in this little uh, section. For all those who have put their trust in Christ, Paul says that verse 1, we were dead. But now, verse 5, we are alive. Once, verse 2, we were immersed in the ways of the world and under the influence of the devil. But, verse six, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ. Well, once, verse three, we were objects of wrath, but then God made us uh, living trophies of his outrageous grace. Verse seven, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I think of the person who is critically ill, about to die, rushed into hospital. Nothing can be done for them. No one knows how to uh, bring health and healing to this person. Uh, The time is over, his time is up. But then one person steps forward. A surgeon claims to know how to fix this man's Uh, disease and he performs an operation and it's a success the person who was gravely ill comes back to full health and as he leaves hospital and walks around uh, a new person what is he he is a trophy to the skill of that surgeon who rescued him no other person could do it except this one surgeon And this man, his health, his life, is now a living example, a living proof of just how skillful that surgeon was. How much more so when it comes to what God has done for us. For we were not just gravely ill, but we were dead. And there was only one cure. Jesus Christ dying on our behalf, taking our death on himself, that we may be raised to life. And as those who in Christ now live again, or have been given new life. We are living trophies, living examples of just how powerful and gracious the Lord is. And for the rest of all of time, for the rest of eternity, we stand as examples of just how gracious and loving God is. People look at us and go, wow, what a gracious God. He rescued that person and that person and that person. Why? Why? Does God bring about such a glorious reversal? Verse 4 Because of His great love for us. When did God love us? Not when we were all washed up and clean and respectable and lovely looking. No, He loved us when we were dead, like a corpse dead in our rebellion. God did not give us life because we had earned it or because we deserved it or because we were lovable, but simply because he chose to love us. That is grace. God is a merciful God. This is another thing that we all have in common tonight. If we have put our trust in Christ. If, we are, if we, we are believing in his death on our behalf on the cross to forgive us of our sins, no matter what our parents are or our prizes or our postcode, this is true for each one of us here tonight. We share a gracious rescue. I wonder if we really believe it. I wonder if we've grasped just how precious this rescue is. Paul gives us one way to check our hearts tonight. To see if we really get grace. It's down verse 9. What are we boasting in? I wonder if you've heard the story of the great composer Rachmaninoff. Aged 22, he wrote his first symphony. And uh, just a few years later, that symphony was, um, was performed in public to a great audience. A remarkable effort for a young man to write a symphony. Extraordinary talent. You can imagine how he felt on the night before the performance. Aged, what, 23, 24? you must have thought, I've made it. I've written this glorious symphony. The room's packed. People have come to hear it. Wow. It was played. It was performed. And it was absolutely shredded by the critics, by all those who came and heard it. They hated it. And Rachmaninoff, as a young man, was utterly destroyed. He became depressed. He locked himself away. He couldn't work, he couldn't write. All his creative juices were shut down. And for years, that was it. He could do nothing else. Why? Because he put all of his identity, all of his self into that performance. And when it's going well, He must have been very, very proud of himself. Look what I've done. And when it's going badly, he was destroyed. And that is what happens to all of us when we put our confidence in what we do, in our works, in our ability. When life is going well, I've nailed it, I'm sorted. We boast. We look at other people and think, I'm better than they are. And when life is going badly, we're destroyed. In despair, were crushed. And Paul says tonight to us that one one hallmark of a heart that is trusting in the cro- in the cross of Christ for our identity and our status, a heart that really believes in grace and in God's mercy is a heart that does not need to boast, does not have to prove themselves. And of course, the flip side is, if life doesn't go well, if we get feedback or criticism. We're not destroyed, for we know that we are loved not because of what we do, but because of what Christ has done. Listen to what Paul says in verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourself. It is the gift of God. This is our life. If we trust in Christ tonight, this is our shared experience. We all share a gracious rescue. And finally, as we come to a close, we all share a common purpose. I've already mentioned one purpose tonight. We, we are now, as those rescued by grace, we are now trophies. Living examples of just how wonderful and gracious God is. That's one purpose we all have. But I'm thinking now, as we come to a close, of, of a different purpose. It's there for us in verse 10. Paul writes this For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What are these good works? Is Paul talking about just being busy in general? You know, running around, filling our diaries, just doing stuff? Is that what Paul means? Well, no, I don't think so. Paul says that these good works were prepared for us in advance, which means that God has a plan for us. He's thought it through. There's a purpose and a direction to what God wants from these good works. And I think that purpose, that plan, is the plan we've seen unveiled for, unveiled for us in Ephesians. If you were with us um, a few weeks ago, back in chapter 1, Paul talked about God's uh, plan to bring all things, verse 10, in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. And to be in Christ, to be one of God's people, is to be caught up in that great master plan for the world. And so here in 2, verse 10, when, t- when Paul talks about the good works God has prepared in advance for us to do. He is talking about our role in making that master plan a reality in the world around us. And oh, how the world needs to know about this master plan. Not just because of what happened in in Paris a few weeks ago with all the disunity and violence and strife that there is, but because for each person in this world, apart from Christ, there is a deadly present and a deadly future as well. It is only in this master plan in Christ that our world can be brought together under one head, Jesus Christ. Only in Christ is there forgiveness. Our good works is all about proclaiming to a watching world this one true master plan for the world. And as we live together as God's people, we'll see in Ephesians that the world will look on and see God's plan working in practice. Which means that the way that we unite together will matter a huge deal. The way that we forgive will matter greatly. Uh, the way that we use our speech, whether we cut down or build up. The way that we live our lives, whether we are pure or unpure. Uh, the kind of jokes that we make, the way that we treat alcohol, how we do our marriages, do we love and submit. All of these things matter because they are how God's people are, are to live together under Christ showing a watching world just how wise and wonderful God's plan is which means that we have good works to do uh, we'll see this in the rest of ephesians that we we have a, a job now a shared job together as God's people to live as God wants us to live so that the world sees God's master plan in action uh, we can't do it on our own uh, we can't sit in a room on our own and love other people This is a common purpose that we all have, that we must be about together. In just a moment, we're going to share together a meal of of bread and wine, a meal that reminds us uh, just how great a transformation in Ephesians 2, how great that transformation is possible. It's through the death of Jesus. As we come tonight and share the, the bread and wine, Let's do it tonight particularly remembering that that we all share this deadly past. We are all one body. We're all in it together. That is our history. And we all, together as one body, share a gracious rescue. We all have different parents. We might have won different prizes. We certainly do live in different postcodes. But let us not forget that in and through Christ we have something in common that trumps every difference. May God give us the strength to live like it.